So here we are gathered for our meditation retreat. The practice is always the same, but every moment is new. And it may very well reveal new insights to us that will lift up our hearts and clear away our misgivings. Clear away the clouds in the mind. And if we listen carefully as we stay present in this moment, sometimes we begin to hear for the first time the real echo of what we're faced with, what we're living right now. we begin to notice that there are kilesas in the mind, these unwholesome states of mind we may not have noticed before. They could have been going on for a long time, echoing and beckoning us to act or to do what will help us to gratify our desires. And this is where Nekama Sukha has a role. What is this Nekama Sukha? Nekama means renunciation, giving up, or letting go. And Sukha is happiness. This Nekama Sukha is the happiness that comes from giving up worldly pleasures. That might sound contradictory. How can you be happy if you give up happiness? But we're talking about how can you give up happiness on the worldly level. And this is a way that we can renew our strength and brightness of mind and also recover an unfamiliar or maybe distant ethical fortitude. So it's a pure, blameless happiness. This kind of happiness is what we're actually seeking. But we never find it through sense gratification, from thoughts or sense experience or from having the objects that we desire. That doesn't work. Why? Because it's temporary. It works for a little while, but only long enough to keep us running after it. And so we've been running for years in the name of getting happiness. Maybe lifetimes. We're tired of running. Is there any respite from that? Is there a kind of happiness that comes when we stop running? That's what we discover in this practice of stopping. We stop our physical movement by sitting, 
It's a paradigm for the internal stopping to allow the mind to rest. And it's easier for the mind to stop when the body is still. But we also have to nurture that experience of stopping in the mind. That's the stillness of letting thoughts go. It's a real rest. We're not following thought, even if it runs through the mind. So can we investigate the space behind thought? The ending of a thought? And the gap before any new thought arises? In that very gap, the mind gains a new sensitivity. We see the futility of running after momentary gratification from thoughts or sense experience. And instead, we come to know a sublime happiness that arises from this space of true mental peace. It's a clarity. All the old habit energies that are furtive give way to an expansive, grounded well-being of heart. There's nothing to drive us out of our mind, so to speak. There's no need for us to look outside of ourselves for fleeting, erratic pleasures that quickly grow dull because we get bored with them. The same food, the same sights, the same endless conversations that fill our ears but not our hearts. No object and no worldly condition can satisfy our craving. Whatever is seen, heard, tasted, smelled, touched, or thought of, we're barely finished with it and we already have lined up something new that we can look forward to. Endless cycle of gratifying desire. How do we return again to the space of peace where thoughts evaporate and the wanting stops. Seclusion from the world, the physical seclusion, is kaya, we wake up, when we're alone. And we get some perspective. We get to reflect on how we relate to the world. But there's a greater kind of seclusion, and that's called chittuiweka, the seclusion of the mind. That's the seclusion from sense desire, from impurities associated with our attachment to sense objects or sense experience that we want. And this gives us a way to contentment, a gratitude. We're happy with what we have, and we don't want anything beyond. 
we're not proliferating into experience or more ownership that comes from wanting what we did have and lost or what we wish we had and want to get. And even having chitta viveka, there's still a greater level of seclusion that comes with the kampana viveka. And that's the kind of seclusion that we develop when we apply the skill of this nekama sukha. Nekama sukha has renunciation in it, and that's not popular. But in our life and in our work, we have to give up a lot. And at some point, we probably realize that there's nothing to give up because we don't own anything that we experience. We don't own it. All we have is this moment. What does it really give us? It's just a form and it's fleeting. We no longer see it before it's gone. We haven't really known things because of their fleeting nature. So what about this life? This whole life? How do we free ourselves from the defilements? We're in bondage to fear and insecurity. The objects of the world, they steal our attention constantly. We have to keep taking care of them, not to mention the body. The Buddha suggests that we contemplate death a lot. It's not a morbid contemplation, really. But it's a way for us to enter into impermanence and to realize the Four Noble Truths. We want happiness, so we have to look at suffering, to know how it comes about and how it ends. And by knowing impermanence, the suffering, and the emptiness of all things that we own, and all experience that we hang on to, believing that these are ours. Instead of going to happiness, we get caught trying to want these repeated experiences and believe they will reward us. But with Nekamasuka, we start to see that they don't reward us. We just get them and lose them again and again and again. It's never satisfying. There's just false promises that don't materialize. So Nekamasuka is a happiness renunciation. We're not running after these objects anymore because we know the futility of that. We understand the freedom 
from wanting. And the freedom from wanting is a joy in itself. We're no longer fooled by the world and all its promises. Really, we're not giving up anything. What does that mean? It means that if things are empty and unsatisfactory and we don't own them, then we're not giving up anything. But we're knowing that. So we can rely on that knowledge. That's the knowledge of Buddha. That's awakened wisdom. And a mind that is awake, it's awake to that emptiness. That's the quality that we can learn and realize when we investigate impermanence. So we rely on nothing. And we practice that until we want nothing. But actually, we're relying on the Buddha, on the awakened wisdom within us. So the stopping of wanting is the taking refuge in that awakened wisdom. And we tease out of the truth of owning nothing, of the emptiness of all things created, of all conditioned things. We tease out the truth that essentially there is nothing to want and there's nothing to rely on except the knowledge of what these things really are. That will wake us up. Not so fast. Waking up is a little harder to do than we think. And we cannot think ourselves awake. We want to wake up, but we don't want to stop. So this gives us the motivation to stop. And when we want to stop, we will definitely stop. It's like you're driving and suddenly you realize you're going the wrong way. You're going to turn around and go back and find the right way. So the Buddha established the Eightfold Noble Path. Whatever you hold to in this Noble Eightfold Path is noble. It's a way that will help us to wake up. And the Buddha mapped out this way for us. Buddha's, Buddhism is just a name. And we have to be careful because when we have a name, often we develop attachment to it or to ideas and rituals associated with it. And then we have a religion. And very often it turns into a kind of delusion because of our attachment. It's not the religion that will free us, but it's the experience of its practices. Just like a compass. A compass is not freedom unless we use it to get ourselves out of a forest where we might be lost. So that's the function of the Eightfold Noble Path. 
It has eight limbs, so it's a package. And we can divide it into subsets. But it's an integral package. And we need all eight limbs. The human heart has no religion, but it has the awareness to know a way. So when we develop this path and we begin to have penetrating insight, then we start to wake up from our ignorance and work towards getting out of the cloud, the cloud of not knowing who we truly are or our true purpose in this earthly life. When we experience it that way, we wake up to the real perception of what is real. The Buddha did not disclose everything to us because he understood our foibles as human beings, our predisposition to attach to ideas. So we have to put these ideas into practice, our own experience. Then the books come to life. And then wisdom also comes to life. We open our eyes and we begin to understand reality. We begin to purify our view. We have the ability to see through to our true nature. And we gain freedom from wanting, freedom from the impurities of thought, from self-preoccupation. This means disassociation from worldly experience and sustaining that so that we can free the mind from the cloud. But the whole world is getting in the cloud. This is not helping. We're in the cloud, oh, in the cloud of what? We're in the cloud of information. How much information can you get? Go in the cloud. You can have it all. This is not wanting nothing. This is relying on wanting control, absolutely getting everything at your fingertips in your device. We want the mind to stop, but we're just filling it up fuller. And we don't have to actually remember much except how to use this mind to free ourselves from wanting. We can have all the information in the world on one device, but can it give us love? Why do we want to be in the cloud if the cloud cannot give us love? Like true love in the heart when it's completely filled with an unconditional love that is not based on anything of the world. 
That kind of love is not in the cloud. So on this path we have right view, right intention, is a freedom that comes from the ability to renounce, a freedom from ill will and a freedom from cruelty. This is Sama Sankapa. These are ways of giving up, giving up wanting, and also understanding the importance of being able to give up. We give up our dependence on the world, and we gain the power to give up what is unwholesome. If we can keep doing that, we experience a deeper purity of mind, which is understood when we see the effect of soaking in what is wholesome, of looking at how that affects the mind. Then we realize what is good for us. Instinctively, we want to turn our minds towards that so that we can stay with what is pure and purifying. That's why the mind longs to stop and why we actually love to be still. But because all we know is how to keep moving, we believe that moving is going to make us happy. Just sitting still is not happiness. Even chickens can sit. But it's a sitting that is a cultivation of the heart. We're developing the path right view, right understanding, right intention, or right resolve and right thought. We develop right speech, right action, and right livelihood. We develop right effort, right mindfulness, and right stability or stillness of mind, the eight limbs of the path. Even the internal editor of the mind is a form of speech that we can bring to stillness. It's a mental noise. If we're getting caught up in unwholesome thoughts, it spirals through the mind. It's the voice of getting and wanting. And we still that. We bring it to stillness. Right action is that. Bringing our wholesome right speech to the forefront. So when we use our lips, when we use our voice, it's harmless speech. And when we act, we act with harmlessness. Then we develop a refined kind of freedom. It's a freedom from ill will. This is metta. And it is essential for our purification to have metta or goodwill towards ourselves and towards others, having compassion towards ourselves and towards others. That's love. So it's not just meditation practice, but it's really the purification of virtue. Everything that we do or say 
how we treat ourselves and each other, right down to when we're silent. So when we're meditating, we lead the mind to a profound silence. Not speaking, not thinking, not having opinions of any kind. So the inner voice is also quiet. And that might take a long time. There is the patience we need. Once the mind gets more and more quiet, we develop a power of listening. We're no longer running after external objects, nor are we running after internal objects or beautiful mind states. So that's the work of sharp mindfulness. And it continually quietens and subdues and returns the mind to present moment awareness. We contemplate the death of each moment as it arises and as it dies. All of this is part of Nekama Sukha, the giving up. And there's so much joy from that giving up, that being with, being in the mind fully, until the mind is so present that it stops circling. It stops circulating. The blood is circulating, but the mind is not. The mind is still, absolutely still. content with itself. And so the mind is deeply aware. There is no cloud. You're out of the cloud. When we witness the stilling of thoughts and the spaciousness of present moment awareness, we give up the cloud. Can we give up the cloud? That remains to be seen. Yes, it remains to be seen for us to see what we cannot see in the cloud. So give up the cloud and let's sit together. 